0: Welcome to the Market Maker Podcast, hosted by me, Anthony Chung, where every Friday I talk to a member of the team about what happened in markets this week. From macro themes and single stock news to cryptocurrencies and careers in finance, our aim is simple, to make finance interesting and easy to understand for everyone. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to the Friday Podcast. And I'm going to say Friday because any of the regular listeners... If they might have heard that we've got a new series running called The Deal Room, which is very much more corporate finance vibe, where we talk about all things M&A, um, IPO, private equity deals, these sorts of things. And that's with our head of corporate finance, Stephen. Um, one thing, Piers, I'm not sure if you caught the episode yet, but Stephen did say that he reckons he's going to get more downloads than you. Just putting that out there.
1: He also, he also said that or maybe it was you actually said that um, he's more attractive a younger and more attractive version of me not sure how i feel about that but you you that, full well that both are are very true <laughs> <laughs> you forget
0: my job is to make you and steven shine i'm just here uh-huh. to bring out the best in both of you so i'm going to say the same thing you're really the star here Pierce. let's be
1: honest. Keep, <laughs> keep keep talking i thought it was very good yeah if if anybody listening, if you didn't catch that it's going to be every week i think that's a really really good new new show um so yeah looking forward to that every week for sure
0: yeah so just in terms of routine to be clear if you're new to the channel we have a global markets wrap up which is piers and i and we talk about things like today you're going to talk about nvidia the stock market the debt ceiling these types of more top level macro topics but with Stephen, we drill really into the deal flow, uh, specifics, strategy, corporate side in much more detail. So, hopefully, if you're thinking about a career in all parts of finance, whether in asset management, PE, trading, we've got you covered. That's the point. So, yeah, we'll have the trading room or the, the deal room on a Wednesday, the trading floor on the Friday. That's the setup. Like it. Um, looking at the stats, though, just before we begin, and I quickly give you an idea of what we're going to cover. Um, I did clock that the majority of people who do listen regularly um, are not actually subscribers. So if that is you, you're listening, hit that follow button and then you won't miss out um, on any of the future shows. And yeah, I know a lot of you are absolutely stressed at the moment with exams. So, um, yeah, you can go back and listen to them. Get yourself up to speed if you're starting an internship or you're getting your head in the right place. And focus for the next application season. Hopefully it helps. But yeah, let's get into it and give you a quick summary of what we're going to cover in the next half an hour or so. NVIDIA earnings, uh, can't have missed that. They are up 25% and they've now become the fourth largest company in the NASDAQ 100. Bigger than Alphabet, bigger than Meta, bigger than Tesla. NVIDIA is right up there. So we'll talk about what happened, why it's a really interesting story that's been under pinning their shares for a long time, in fact, Uh, then we're going to talk about stocks in general, Um, we just keep going up despite a lot of risks out there. Um, The banking crisis cooled off, but that's obviously quite fresh in mind got the debt ceiling will the US default all these different things and yet stocks keep going up lots of bullish bets flooding into the market and we'll discuss. What's the current status, but also what are the current risks at this point in time? And then we'll have a quick update on the debt ceiling saga as well. That still rumbles on, but we're getting very close to the cliff edge now. So, what's the latest there? So, perhaps um, Nvidia finished yesterday's session up 25%, earnings beat. Perhaps most significantly, Nvidia said expected sales of about $11 billion. Plus or minus 2% in the current quarter. Because remember, it's backward looking when they report their corporate earnings. The idea being that in the current quarter, their expectation of 11 billion is more than 50 5-0, 50% higher than Wall Street estimates of 7.15 billion. That
1: I have not seen before. Right. Well, I was going to say that it's just, I literally never seen anything like it. Just the most... Remarkable set of numbers, and yeah, you're right. It's all about this forecast. So they're a bit out of sync, Nvidia, which often I don't know if you're not tuned into earnings season and all the rest of it, it often catches you a bit by surprise because they, their quarters, the way they report, is out of sync with the sort of calendar quarters. So when we're talking about their forecast for the quarter we're in now, that's for them. That's the quarter to the end of July. So that's why they're reporting their quarterly earnings here in, in May, when most companies report them in April. They're basically one month out of sync of the usual um, timings. But um, so analysts had forecast that in this quarter, up to the end of July, Nvidia would generate sales of 7.2 billion, and they came in with, nope, we're going for 11. And yeah, as you say, it's a fifty percent uptick on the Street's forecast. My favorite stat—I mean, obviously the share price just went, you know, stratospheric. Went up twenty-four percent. We're not—we're not messing about here. This isn't a—this isn't a small cap. This is like one already one of the biggest companies, right? And for it to go up twenty-four percent, my favorite stat—it added one hundred eighty-four billion dollars to its market cap, which makes it the biggest one-day gain ever. Is that right? Yeah, the biggest one-day gain for a company's market cap ever. So that kind of puts it in perspective as, as to exactly how remarkable um, this move is, is. And they're kind of, it takes them up to just shy, I think, well, depends where they open today, I guess, but they, their total market cap post-rally, $939 billion. They're just shy of that. The VIP trillion. room. <laughs> exactly. And as a reminder, who's in the VIP room? Well, the one trillion dollar club, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and then Saudi Aramco. The, uh, the, the kind of, yeah. Must be an odd posse when you're in the club. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's definitely an odd one out. So yeah, they're, 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 they're nearly there. Yeah. So quite, quite extraordinary
0: yeah and one of the things i saw i mean it's just been littered with stats obviously given such an incredible move nvidia is now six times the size of intel and yet i think it was uh intel's revenue is double yeah (laughs) so that leads us on then so yeah intel's revenues are twice nvidia and yet nvidia is six times larger So people are pricing in forward-looking potential here. So let's talk about that because that's really what's driven the stock price. Just like you said, yes, it was a biggest move on record, but I was the stat. There was how many multiple thousands of percent is NVIDIA up over a 10-year period. This stock has been integral to the evolution through what even the, the chip that drove the mobile Phase to the services products that came on the back of that and beyond. And now they're involved
1: in so much more. It's the changing of the guard. I think a good uh, historical uh, sort of analogy, sort of comparison would be Nokia and Apple. Be thinking about the mobile phone market where Nokia were absolute dominant kings. And then Apple came along with just the next generation. And uh, slowly but surely, you know, the baton was handed over, and the superpower status shifted from one to the other. It's exactly the same here with with Intel and Nvidia. Nvidia are built for the future, and the future just all of a sudden, <laughs> the size of, of the market that's available um, has just suddenly exploded, or, or it's accelerated. Um, because look, we're thinking that at the moment, in terms of, well, I, well, actually, let's just step back a sec before we get into the too finer detail. Because I don't know, NVIDIA, they're not, um, I, I always think they've kind of, they're kind of playing like the younger brother, if you like, to the big tech boys. I, I don't think they quite get the superstar status often. That your other big techs you know when you're talking about fang indexes and all the rest of it the n in fang is not nvidia it's netflix and you're like well actually that's ridiculous because it really should be nvidia so i i I always think they never quite got the credit they deserve and often i don't know if, if people quite fully understand what they do i mean obviously they're they're in the chip game but they they produce graphics processing units that's their so gpus I was reading, I actually asked Chat GPT, explain to me what a GPU is as if I was a seven-year-old. It gave me quite a good analogy.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I'll read it out. Do you want, do you want to hear? Hmm. Um, so the analogy was, imagine if a computer is like a construction site, okay? The CPU, that's the central processing unit, um that's obviously a key piece of kit in the computer that's like the site manager all right so that's making sure everything's running smoothly it's handing handling a lot lots of different tasks okay it's managing the whole thing the gpu is like a skilled worker that's really good at one specific thing so obviously in the case of NVIDIA's GPUs, it's creating and manipulating images, okay? So, so whilst the CPU is busy coordinating all sorts of general tasks, the GPU focuses on making sure all the visuals look great. Now, this kind of, you know, why is NVIDIA all of a sudden just exploded? Is because really they were in the business of creating GPUs for the gaming industry. all about graphics right and fine obviously the gaming industry has been growing you know very sharply over the last 10 20 years whatever okay and so obviously nvidia have been on the rise but all of a sudden um it is the case that um nvidia are prime perfect place to take advantage of the ai revolution um so the ai breakthrough so the kind of latest ai breakthrough is the transformer model okay talking about nvidia's products their are key ones something called the h100 um and this is uh, like the foundation for for how large language models basically operate so these this this kind of sudden ai explosion it's thought that a Nvidia have got the technology for it and but most importantly or no equally as importantly they've got the capacity to deliver on the massive spike in demand because mm. it's all it's all well and good having the product but can you build enough especially in this particular situation where the demand has suddenly just gone exponential and Nvidia do have it's believed the infrastructure to actually meet this increasing Demand with a massive, you know, sharp uptick in supply. So that's kind of a another key thing here. um Yeah,
0: to give it some like commercial numbers. So their flagship AI GPU, that A100, that sells for around ten thousand US dollars a chip. Is that right? Wow, I didn't know that. Ten thousand. Wow. Uh, so and that's the hardware of choice, as you said, for large language AI models. Now, a supercomputer yeah can use thousands of those chips at any one time they're thousand a pop right wow. so an ai supercomputer constructed by microsoft so hosts like open ai or something like that that would be featuring tens of like thousands of these things so you can imagine and then yeah the h100 which is like the next evolution um That's then talking about cloud-based AI supercomputing. Yeah. Which is like then the next gen,
1: if you like. Mm -hmm. So, Well, this product is insane. It's got... um, So the H100, it's a hardware accelerator. It's got 80 billion transistors on it. And they use this kind of manufacturing technology. Um, It's called four nanometer manufacturing process. Basically... The chip game is who can build the most powerful chip, right? Who, who can build a chip that can deliver the most powerful sort of power. Yeah. Um, and ultimately that's just a game of how many, how, how many kind of transistors can you get, can you mount on a chip? And remember the chip's got to fit into a bit of hardware. So size is key here. So can you make a super small chip that's got as many transistors on it as you can possibly fit? And this has been the game over the last decade, Um, and Nvidia right at the forefront of smashing all the records. And this four nanometer, so they're just able to mount transistors four nanometers apart. Meaning they can get more up. The the transistors are smaller; they can mount them closer. And this is the game that they're in. And actually, I'll just a quick, um, maybe a a slight tangent, only briefly before we come back to the main kind of. Nuts of it, but this is quite there's geopolitics involved here because back in August last year, um, Biden um, announced a banning of four major semiconductor technologies for export to China. So this is the key advantage that the US have over China in the chip race. It's 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 their ability to this four nanometer manufacturing technology is only only the US have cracked it. China's quite a long way behind here. So the chips they're producing are nowhere near as powerful. So Biden's aim is, right, let's cut off access. Let's cut China's access to these more powerful chips. And in so doing, let's slow down the rate at which their kind of whole technology stack is evolving. Okay. Um, so there is a bit of politics in here. What was interesting to hear, though, um, on the call, the... um, NVIDIA CEO r- spoke very briefly about this, and he he's anti this. He was saying that, look, if China can't buy from the U.S., they'll just build it themselves. His view is that by banning the export of this stuff, it just will in- accelerate China's kind of... 100%. Yeah, so it's a classic It's a, it's a classic kind of gaffe.
0: Yeah, that kind of corporate espionage, like that they're China are the kings of that. And so... Yes. If they can't get them, they will just take get the information that's required to then, and we know that China have a pattern of that type of behaviour. So
1: such a classic short-termist political mm. gaff. Yeah,
0: you know? makes me wow. feel quite bullish in Nvidia shares though, because if I was like the company in itself and its management, knowing the political context, yeah, and the pressure points of the current administration, they're going to be favourable surely so when this is one of the things about being the drummer in the band and not the lead singer (laughs) is that no one cares no one wants to see me going to Tesco's to do my shopping and take a funny photo of me they do that for the lead singer that's your apple that's your google Yeah. yeah I'm in the back right and I'm absolutely creaming it no one knows who I am And then I go to the club, not get bothered. I like (laughs) it. Nvidia,
1: Nvidia is the drummer.
0: I like. At the same time, the um, the government, you know, you're kind of you've got the benefit of this whole crackdown on big tech. Doesn't really affect me. A because politically, I'm like the jewel in the crown. And then B, I'm not really that public with what we do. It doesn't really hit the mainstream in that same way. And so there isn't that like. um, political kind of martyrship that you see when they come to big tech and talk about privacy and all these types of things you're just a manufacturer of a product so you're kind of shielded from a lot of that um potential growth barriers that that might hit other larger tech firms
1: yeah um, well like all the kind of antitrust stuff like blocking yeah. like microsoft you know trying to buy stuff and getting blocked by the antitrust regulators yeah and, you're right um, and that's but, not
0: with, even without talking about the fact that we you know we've only talked about generative AI and stuff, but you know before that, you remember everyone was going nuts over Web three, and Web three yeah. being then a, a accumulation of lots of different things, so virtual reality, graphics, cryptocurrency, i.e. mining, yeah, on, on a huge scale. So all of these different things, these elements, they are critical, right, in multiple paths so yeah i mean are they overvalued they're well up, they're up 11000%
1: in the last 10 years yeah but okay so if you think about the total addressable market yeah right tam at the moment it's thought to be 100 billion dollars right the, the kind of ai space in terms, from the chip point of view so in nvidia's total addressable market currently 100 billion um and that's kind of shot up right but they expect that to grow 39% Hagar, as we say so you know um annual sort of compound annual growth rate okay 39 percent per year every year so actually by the 2030 that one that 100 billion becomes north of one trillion dollars total addressable market um so are they overvalued i don't know here's one argument to suggest that this is a a, a kind of not not a flash in the pan that's wrong but just a a temporary blip higher, but it's temporary and it pulls back and people calm down a bit, only because, as you've just been saying, right, OpenAI have just bought, I don't know how many of these H100 chips, but a lot, because all of a sudden, obviously, there's been a huge demand for their product, number one, but obviously, number two, you need cash to buy this stuff, right, and oh, they just had $10 billion of cash just shoved into their account from Microsoft. So is there a temporary spike in demand that isn't sustainable? I'm not saying demand's not going to rise over the long term. I'm just saying maybe there's been a temporary acceleration in demand that's not sustainable and the the growth rate in demand might slow, maybe, as we track through the rest of the year. but. So maybe, look, we might be in a bit of a short-term frenzy here, big spike, but don't get me wrong, the long-term mm. you know, fundamentals look phenomenal. Um, it's just be careful about a bit of FOMO here. Um, I think there's a bit of technicals as well because the, the spike on, on Wednesday did take them above the 2021 20, high. So the 2021 20, high was about $330. Mm. So that got taken out in style. Um so there might be a bit of technicals here kind of smashed up to what was it $380 I think so it's made a new all time high so when was um, the
0: when was that high in 21 Feb That said? was
1: November 2021 which was the kind of top of the the okay. top of the kind of covid tech boom move. so that would have been as well post the four for one stock split they would have done a couple months earlier before that right Yeah if you go to I mean look if you go to the start of 2021 they were trading at 130 bucks by the end of the year it's 320 330 mm-hmm. so yeah they, they had a big 2021 like 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 most of the tech industry okay. right
0: and to- talking um fomo then let's talk about the broader stock market Because yeah was reading some data from city earlier this week and all of these banks uh, obviously are quite have good visibility of flow coming from their clients And and they said investors have pumped $21 billion into U.S. stocks. So despite this debt ceiling media frenzy, which has all been quite negative, um, the bank's data suggests then that it's all been parked into long S&P futures positions. And actually, the longs now outnumber shorts nine to one at this present point in time. So, yeah. Maybe you okay. could perhaps explain a little bit about this idea of how they track the flow and what does nine to one really represent
1: in terms well, of. If you're thinking about, well, if you're thinking about price, right, what moves price? What well, is buyers and sellers. And so, you know, ultimately at a fundamental level, you know, it's that perennial battle. How many buyers are there? How many sellers? And if there's more buyers than sellers, well, then the thing goes up, right? And if there's more sellers than buyers, then it goes down. But the, the 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 bigger the, um, the the difference in in size of those two camps gets well then you know if you're at 9 to 1 it means that you're kind of at very extreme levels the point being right if 90% are buyers and they've already bought well who else is going to buy i mean how how can the price continue to go up if everyone's already bought so when it gets to extreme levels like this, it is a signal to suggest that the momentum to the upside is now perhaps running out, and maybe it's the top.
0: Yeah, so put the FOMO people aside. The other thing okay. about breadth Yeah. And, um, the right. big difference between the previous market rally, where tech was getting hit, actually, at that time, as interest rates were pointing to be going higher, we're now on the other side of that, Markets are pricing rate cuts, techs are now rallying. However, it's very concentrated. So what, when, people, when yeah. people
1: read about um, breadth, what is it that they should take away from that? So when you're thinking about an index and when it's going up, why is it going up? It's not that like with the S&P 500, right? you've got 500 companies. So if the index is going up, that doesn't mean all 500 companies are going up. The, there are different components right and, and actually it is the case that this rally is a bit this is very weird this this rally in so much as so if you take the top 10 stocks in the index or well for starters the top 10 stocks in the index of 500 companies the top 10 make up 29 percent of the whole index which is very high historically that's a that's a that's a very high amount it's not it's not unusual for the top 10 to make up like 20 percent I mean the top 10 normally dominate but not quite to the point it's got to an extreme level here right so the top 10 like who are the top 10 well Apple number one I'll, I'll list them in in order okay Apple make up 6.6 percent Microsoft 5.6 they're the absolute two giants then you drop to Amazon that makes up two and a half percent Nvidia of now just Smashed up this list big time. Um, and they they make up 1.7 percent now. They've literally jumped like six or seven places on this list this week. Um, but NVIDIA, then you've got Tesla at 1.6, Berkshire Hathaway 1.6, Alphabet are in there twice with their A and B shares. So they kind of together, I guess, Alphabet makes up um three percent. So they, they really are the number. Th- Google are the number three on the list, if you like. And then you've got XL Mobile and United Health Group. Okay. So these are the stocks, right? But it's the big tech giants. So actually, the top 10 here, and certainly the tech within that, they, they've made up 70% of the rally year-to-date. 70% of the whole index rally is because of the top 10, and more specifically, the tech stocks. Um, so it's very narrow. Right? The rally is being driven by a very small number of companies that are going up a lot. The majority of the companies in the S&P 500 haven't gone up this year. And so, again, there it's that's, that's historically a sign that the rally is not sustainable because it's not broad-based. And if you get any kind of signal that actually people might start to book a bit of profit on tech, Well, then this index is coming down rapidly. Now, why might there be a trigger to book some profit? Well, the rally's been about, as you said, rate cuts, right? The Fed hitting the top of their hiking cycle and starting to cut rates as the recession starts. Except that that view is starting to look a little bit unlikely, right? Because the recession, here we are, we're not far off halfway through the year. And what recession? Okay, so... Far from are they going to cut rates, I think we're edging back towards the camp that they might continue to hype. So this might be a trigger to go, right, you know, I've had a good run here on this tech. This tech stuff's been fantastic for me, but you know what? I'm going to book a bit of profit. And then that's where you're going to get your sell side volume increasing. And, and there aren't many buyers to hold up the wave of selling, right? Mm. Because everyone's already bought.
0: Yeah. Well, look. Let's um, talk through a couple of the highlights on the other side, then, because Mike Wilson, of course, has been pounding the street. He's a well-known U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, biggest bear on the street. But he is actually, I think, the number one forecaster for the S and P five hundred. I think it was last year. So he's the most accurate.
1: Well, the year where it, the year where it went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> for, for the first time in a decade it was the, yeah, the, forecast. the clock. right
0: what well, was it the same twice a day but here so there's he's got six points i'll quickly run through them and feel free to to pop in on any any one of these so valuations are expensive so that's the whole kind of mantra of his thing deep earnings deep earnings recession is what he calls it as a as a total kind of packaged th- uh, view the median pe multiple is 18 times and that's near the top decile in the last 20 years then second point a healthy reacceleration is already baked into second half consensus earnings estimates number three exactly what you just said markets are pricing for rate cuts um but they don't morgan stanley see that happening Um, not unless we definitively enter into a recession or the credit market deteriorates significantly, which isn't happening, as you were saying. And four, the presumption that the banking crisis will not worsen or become systemic. And while MS think that, yes, we're not going to get a rerun of the the financial crisis of 08-09, they're talking about, um, they do think that this banking crisis now will accelerate the credit crunch that was scheduled to begin by this year given loan officer surveys, which they track on a regular basis. The fifth one was consumer resilience. That's been quite surprisingly strong across most areas, actually, in the Western world, in the US as well. But there's some signs emerging that that's fading because you can track various different discretionary spending indicators. And even those at the high end of the spectrum of wealth, they're also pulling back a little bit. Um, as a key sign and then probably most interesting us debt default or 11th hour resolution their view or his view is that an actual agreement might be a bigger risk to markets hmm. that statement in, in itself is a bit weird because you're thinking <laughs> hang about you guys were just talking the last few weeks about how it's the end of the world and things like that if this thing actually does blow up he's actually saying no actually the stock market's going to fall if this thing goes through. And this is, I guess, one of the things that it's hard to really understand about markets until you see it, until you're in it. Because at the moment, stocks are rallying, partly because the deal is coming. Right. So there's kind of the timing thing about markets are always forward-looking pricing in the future. So at the moment, we're pricing in the um, sidestepping the worst-case scenario. But then I guess what Mike is talking about is that what will happen here then, in short, raising the debt ceiling could decrease market liquidity based on the $1.2 trillion in treasury bill issuance that they think we'll see in the next six months. Um, His conclusion being that while many individual stocks and sectors have traded poorly this year, the major indices are priced uh, for simultaneous good outcomes on multiple fronts which they think the risks are elevated and increasing in some instances.
1: That was his. Yeah. I mean, I think if you track him and and monitor, he's been calling the top of the S&P every month, (laughs) 2023. (laughs) And he will continue to call the top every single month. Every single month so far, he's been wrong. Hmm. Um, So is he wrong again? I don't know, but I, I would say, I, in my opinion, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, I'm I'm not a believer in this rally in 2023, and I don't, I, I I'm, I'm kind of, again, quite staggered it's still happening. So uh, as the year rolls on, I, I do think it's more likely that he becomes right. Um, it's quite look I, with the debt ceiling thing. If you're so biased towards a view, you will take any scenario you want and you will fabricate an argument that matches your view, right? There's a little bit of that in his assessment here that if a debt debt ceiling deal gets done, stock markets sell off. And I guess his point technically could be right because he's saying, right, this will mean then issuance of new treasuries. So you're gonna get a lot of new financial assets coming to market, new supply. these treasuries are at decent yields now, certainly based on like the last 10 years, right? So you might find if you've got portfolio managers that have been long tech, they've got a lot of profit. They might go, you know what? Mm, Yeah, the Fed might hike again. So you know what? I'm going to book profit on my tech stocks and I'm going to buy some of this new supply of treasuries that have come online. So it could trigger a rotation of assets out of stocks and into these new bonds so technically, I mean, I kind of see what he's saying, but it does stink a little bit of him just, you know, being a slave to his own bias. But but that being said, you know, back to the fact it's a narrow, a, a, a market rally that's incredibly narrow, mm-hmm. anything, 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 anything hints mm-hmm. that hints that tech is at a top, then fine. You're going to get this rally coming off quite sharply.
0: Yeah, I guess that was his takeaway point, that the market's pricing perfection on a number of different points. Yeah. And that never ends well. (laughs) And (laughs) we're not talking about, you know, catastrophic fall in markets, just an end, um, I guess. guess It's an end to the bear market rally. Right. All right. Well, look, quick summary then, just to wrap up, last few minutes on the debt ceiling. So... The latest, i.e., as of Friday, the 26th of May, we're recording this. Republican and White House negotiators are moving closer to an agreement to raise the debt limit and cap federal spending for two years. That's according to people familiar with the matter. Under the terms of the emerging agreement, defense spending would be permitted to rise 3% next year, in line with Biden's budget request. Uh, The accord would also include a measure to upgrade the nation's electric grid to accommodate renewable energy, which is a key climate goal, so win for the administration. But on the flip side, they're also going to speed up permits for pipelines and other fossil fuel projects, <laughs> which the GOP favour. Yeah, That's just laughable. I mean, anyway. So should a deal be reached soon, I guess some of the key points here is timing. So Tuesday is emerging as a likely day for a house vote. So obviously they've got to make an agreement first, but yeah. the signs are they're getting close to this. And if that is the case, they've got quite a pressurized um, schedule that they need to hit. So Tuesday is emerging as likely day for the House vote. The Senate would then have to act quickly because it has to go through both chambers of Congress, land on Biden's desk before the first of June. And that's the date by which Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has said her department will basically run out of money. Um, yeah so the following day after so second of june that sees a payment due to millions of social security beneficiaries so this is what's putting a bit of the pressure on the to resolve
1: the impasse at the moment yeah the noises coming out of the rose garden yesterday you gotta say it's deal it looks like it's pretty much done i mean they were very positive like if, if you were going to have a government shutdown, then you would need the two parties to still be a long way apart. and it, the, what they were talking about yesterday seems like seems like they're actually pretty much there. So mm. you know, obviously the, the litmus test comes when it tries to get through Cong when the bill tries to get passed through Congress, but most likely they're not going to attempt to pass the bill unless they know they've got the numbers to get the votes, right? So yeah, I don't know. At the moment it looks looks like they're they're they're, they're pretty much there. It's all a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's a dull. Come on. I would have been like, I you gotta throw a trump in at this point and just blow up
1: the deal. <laughs> just
0: say, no, deal's off.
1: <laughs> but you could say, I, my final point, you could say a deal being done is negative for stocks because it means spending increases which is inflationary you could say government spending has been out of control and that's why we got inflation in the first place and here's biden wanting to spend more and spend more and spend more so you could say the deal getting done without any problems is inflationary which means the fed can't cut and maybe need to continue to hike so maybe there is a negative argument to be spun out of a deal getting done here yeah, Mike was uh, speed dialing his hitman on
0: you about 10 minutes ago. And now he's, he's calmed <laughs> down a little bit. It's okay, Mike. Just chill. He's fine. All right. So that's it for this week. Thanks very much for, for listening. Uh, as we said before, we'll have the global markets wrap up as per normal with Piers and myself every Friday. You have got the more of a corporate finance spin with Stephen coming at you on Wednesday every week. So remember to follow the channel, hit the bell icon so you get notified when the new episodes come out. But have a wonderful weekend. If you are in the UK, it's a long one again. So enjoy yep. the sun. And Thanks, Piers.
1: Take care. Have a good weekend.